This is the Swampscott Library's Librarians by the Sea podcast, where we share our love of a good book with you. I'm your host, Julie Travers. On the podcast today, I have Jane Healy, who left a career in high tech to become a freelance writer. Her passion for historical fiction became her new career when her first novel, The Saturday Evening Girls Club, was published in 2017. With the release of The Beantown Girls in 2019, she continued to fulfill her dream of writing lesser-known stories of women in history. Keep a lookout for her upcoming novel, The Secret Sealers, which is based on true stories of the women of the Office of Strategic Services, the precursor to the CIA, during World War II. It will be released on April 1st, 2021. Hello. Hi, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Good. Yeah, thank you for being here. Yeah, so if you to start, if you want to just start talking about um, a little bit about yourself and how you got into writing as a career. Okay, yeah. So um, I was, before my daughters were born, they're 17 and 14 now, I was um, in high tech, actually, as a product manager. Mm-hmm. But I had always wanted to write fiction. That was kind of the plan all along in the back of my mind, something I wanted to do. So when they were born, I, you know, my, my husband's still in tech. I was in tech. Our lives were crazy. I needed something I had to give. So I I started freelance writing from home Mm -hmm. and doing a lot of like magazine work, newspaper work, such as, such as it was, and also some private client work. And then, you know, I think sometimes when you're, you know, your kids are born, you think about your life and your own goals. And so I was like, well, it's now or never. I, I think I need to start taking the whole fiction thing seriously. And that's when I really started taking workshops and, 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 and dedicating some time to it, to be honest. So, um, so the fir- my first novel was the Saturday Evening Girls Club. It came out in 2017, but I worked on that novel pro- off and on on a very, very part-time basis in between freelance writing and raising my girls um, off and on for a good part of 10 years. And wow. then um, the first time I tried to get it published was probably about uh, seven years ago now. And uh, I got something like 70, 80 rejections. I stopped counting after 70 or 80 rejections mm-hmm. and then put it away, worked on some other fiction. And then a couple of years later, I I felt like the market was better for immigrant fiction. Saturday Evening Girls Club is based on a true story of uh, Italian and Jewish immigrant women in Boston's North End at the turn of the 20th century. And I felt like the market, it was becoming more trendy, immigrant fiction. There were some books that were doing very well, like Hotel on the Corner of Bitter and Sweet and Orphan Train that I felt like were good comps for the Saturday Evening Girls Club. So I thought, well, I'm gonna give this one, one, this manuscript one more try and see if I can get it published. And lo and behold, it actually happened. And it was very much the same story. I didn't do, I didn't change much at all. Um, cleaned it up a little bit um, as, as it was the first time I sent it out, but it was just, you know, luck and timing definitely plays a role in the publishing mm. process. Wow, that's, that's cool that you can work on something for so long and then be disappointed that nothing's going to happen with it. And then suddenly it turns into uh, to a, a book. That's, that's really Yeah, cool. it's still, I still can't believe it. It's crazy. Mm. So, um, so then my, you know, that one did Saturday Evening Girls Club did well enough that my publisher was looking for, you know, what do you want to do next? Are you going to, what's your next project? And so I put together a proposal, um, three, the way my contract works is 
you have to present three chapters in a synopsis um, as a kind of proof of concept for the next book. And if they like it, then then I get the contract. So mm -hmm. I, you know, found the story of these uh, I, of the Red Cross Clubmobile program during World War II, and I never heard of it before. It was, you know, three American girls who drive these trucks that look like modern-day food trucks up to the front lines of the war. And I thought it was so interesting. Some of their stories. The more I dug into their their history, and the, I felt felt like there was definitely a, a book there. And so that was my proposal, and um, that proposal became the Beantown Girls, which came out in 2019. Nice. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I kind of wanted to ask you about the stories that you choose to tell um, about these these women that are kind of lesser known historical figures. How do you choose these stories or, or what when you find something like this, what makes you decide that it's a good story to tell? You know, I think there's a couple of factors. It's funny that you asked the question because I was just talking to my husband about this last night because I'm you know trying to figure out what my proposal for book four is going to be like what do I want to write about next and and it's almost you know there's a couple factors a couple things I look for one is like how, you know are they lesser known like has anyone told this story before you know with the Beantown Girls I was like surely someone has written a fiction fictionalized version of these women or there's definitely a novel about them out there and I and I was shocked that I that there wasn't because I mm -hmm. thought this is such a unique story and, um, and then it's just the feeling of like, uh, if I'm fascinated by it, hopefully other people will be fascinated by it. And you have to also ha have a love of the idea and of the, of, the, of the research and the history because you are gonna live with it for a long time. And you know, many iterations and many hard days of writing and you better love it from the start. Cause if you don't, then it's just gonna, it's gonna show in the, in the final product, I think mm -hmm. so. So, you know, a kind of fascinating story that other people I think would also find fascinating, lesser known, meaning no one else has written a novel about them before. And, um, and, and yeah, just a passion for it. Mm. Do you find it difficult to balance between the facts of history and making it like a readable story that people would want to, you know, keep reading? Is that a difficult balance to ride or? Yeah, I feel like, um, the Saturday Evening Girls Club, I kind of stumbled my way through that, I, like figuring out that balance. And now it's a little more instinctive, but I still, it's still a constant kind of check. And I, one of the things I always say, you have to ask yourself, like, if historically this certain scene didn't take place, does it make sense within the context of the time and place in history? Mm. You know, does it feel authentic to that? Does it, you know, because if you, you want to like be uh, honor these people and honor this history and be as accurate as you can be, but um, it is fiction, so you can take you can take some liberties. And I think that I attended the historical novel society conference last year, and someone one one of the panels the advice was you know your author's note is your best friend. So like if you take liberties, you need to kind of tell people in your author's note that look, I had to take some jumps here I had to fill in the blanks but I tried to you know still be as true to the history as I could mm. um so I also wanted to ask you about the so you kind of write about two in each of your uh, previously published books about two organizations that kind of helped w women of uh, different backgrounds kind of come together and and get opportunities that they wouldn't have had normally so I'm wondering if you ever heard from anybody who read your books that were involved in these organizations and what they, if you have, what they thought about them. Yeah, um, it's 
been that's been really interesting. I Saturday Evening Girls Club was around in you know early 1900s, so those women have passed, but I have heard from their descendants, like grandkids at this point, or, or, or great grandkids. And one of them actually showed up at um, an event I did in Watertown and and had brought some like original pictures and letters and wow. talking about the club. And so that that was just so amazing. And then with the Beantown girls, because there are more, you know, it's a bigger, it was a bigger, a little bit bigger program than, than Saturday Evening Girls Club was. And over the course of World War II, there was about a thousand clubmobile girls. And so I have heard uh, from like sons and daughters and grandkids and, um, I recently posted a letter on my Facebook author page from someone and it was so moving about the similarities between this woman's um, mother who was over there and, and father and um, it was it was just amazing and so I and then in terms of like actual Clomobile girls they had to be over the age of 25 in the you know 40s mm-hmm. so there are actually a few of them left two of them just celebrated their 100th birthdays. Wow. Um, and I have not heard from them, but I do a lot of talks now with different Red Cross chapters mm-hmm. across the country. So I hear from people who know them or, or Red Cross Clubmobile girls from the Vietnam War. I've talked to a couple of them and that's pretty amazing. So yeah, it's, you know, the different connections um, since the book have come out have been wonderful. Nice. Yeah. Saturday Evening Girls Club is set in Boston and then yes. uh, Beantown Girls has a Boston connection and, you know, we live here. Um, do you feel a connection to the characters in your stories when you're in the city or walking around the city? Is that, uh, is that part of it? Is, is the city kind of inspirational to you in that way, just because there's so much history here? It is particularly with the Saturday Evening Girls Club, because it, it takes place in the North End and throughout the city of Boston. And I kind of described as a love letter to Boston. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, my husband was living there when we first met. And I just remember walking around those streets and you can just feel it. You can feel the history. And I mean, the, you can walk down and turn a corner and it still looks the same as it did, you know, a hundred years, not a lot of places now in the North End, but there's a few that you're like, it could, it could be a hundred years before, you know, right. and that's amazing. Um, so yeah, I think that Boston inspires me. It's funny, like the Beantown Girls, they were all from Boston, but it takes place um, in Europe. And then this, this next book, the Secret Stealers, um, the main character is from Boston, but it starts in DC and, and really that's that's about, you know, there's some references to her family living in Boston, but that's that's about it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, but I, I kind of like to weave some sort of New England, Boston detail in every time, so. Cool. When you were writing Saturday Evening Girls Club, what, what local history resources did you use in order to do that? Um, a couple of different ones. I the most were you know the most helpful one was um the schlesinger library at harvard is um a great resource for american women's history and they had a lot of original archived materials like the saturday evening girls had a newsletter so they had all the old newsletters they had some photos and articles um there's a couple books that were written by members or members family members like a memoir type things and um so yeah, the big, but the biggest resource was um, the Schlesinger for sure. In, mm. in terms of primary source materials, that was great. The girls club is no longer, but did they have an archives 
was that at the Schlesinger Library? Was that's that at the Schlesinger? Yeah, that's okay. pretty much it. Although the pottery is really collectible now, and mm -hmm. um, you can find it in different museums all over the country. But Helen Starrow, who was one of the founders of the club, was really the benefactor. Um, she was very also very involved with the Girl Scouts, with the founding of the Girl Scouts. So um, in Waltham at the Girl Scout Museum, they have a very large collection of the pottery there, which is really amazing. And um, the MFA has a fairly large collection. Mm -hmm. You know, there's different places you can see kind of their, the girls work and, um, and that's really cool. It's cool. What's your research process like when you start a novel? Uh, do you spend, like how much time do you spend researching before you decide to write about it? And how do you do that? Yeah, so for the last two books, cause I was on deadline, um, it was a different process obviously than the Saturday Evening Girls Club, which was kind of a Frankenstein <laughs> process over many years. But I, I like to have kind of a solid base of research before I dig into doing any writing at all. So I, I, for both of them, I did at least six months of research and kind of start, started to sketch things out before I sat down and said, okay, I think I can make a book out of this. Mm -hmm. And um, and then I kind of, I'm definitely much a planner and an outliner. So after I signed the contract, I had the first three chapters, I did some additional research. And then, you know, as you, at some point you just have to start writing and the research really, you know, the bulk of it was done, but it never really stops because it's ultimately like, you're looking up random things like, menus or clothing or music you know things like those little details that people really love and you want to get those right too so so that's an ongoing process through the, the whole the whole book mm. I've heard from other authors who write about historical fiction and they say that the, there's like a point that they have to kind of cut themselves off from oh, yes. doing the historical research because <laughs> otherwise you can get like too wrapped up in it I think that's really true. I think that if I, I was on a call with a bunch of authors yesterday and I said, you know, if I didn't have a deadline, I'd still be researching the Beantown Girls probably. <laughs> like I'd still, you know, at some point you just have to say enough and 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 dig in. So mm. what historical re resources did you use for that book? Was that, did they have a um, central archives or? For Beantown Girls? Mm. Um, you know, it was really interesting. I found about a half dozen memoirs online. Most of them are out of print, including like a scrapbook of the women in Europe that had kind of pieced together different things like newsletters and photos and and all sorts of stuff. And um, though, so that was kind of a jumping off point, but then I, I still felt like I, I didn't have enough to go on once. And there's some, there's some online resources too, but you have to be careful with online resources in terms of where the original content's coming from. And Believe it or not, I, and I was really, I was like jaw dropped. Um, I called the Schlesinger again or reached out over email. I can't remember and said, you don't happen to have anything on these women. Not, my expectations were very low. And they said that they had 13 boxes of diaries and letters and uh, photographs. And they had a uniform and like even little notes about how to make the donuts, like little handwritten notes about tips about how to not burn them. and. And so that was like hitting the lottery. I couldn't believe it. It was, they had so much more than I ever expected. And when I got there and, you know, my, my, I brought my younger daughter in, we scanned a bunch of stuff. I spent some, some days there and I found that the women in Europe of the, of the girls in the, um, of the Club Mobile girls in World War II, the women in Europe were really prolific letter writers and diary keepers. And those women really gave me my timeline and my narrative arc and my story. So, mm. yeah. And did you take specific 
Were, were the three main characters based on specific people? The three or? main characters are really composites of different, mm -hmm. all the different women I read about. Um, so for instance, you know, the main character Fiona, I, I read a, a few different stories of, of women who were either widowed or, um, you know, or their husband or fiance went missing. And I thought, what a brave choice, you know, like they, they're, they're like 25 years old and they're widows and they decide to go overseas and do this job. And I thought that is like, and I want to kind of incorporate that into one of the characters and that, and that's, was one of the inspirations for Fiona. And then I also then came across an article where one of the Clubmobile girls was really artistic and started doing charcoal sketches of soldiers that they could send home to their parents and their families. And, and so that became the inspiration for Viv. And then with Dottie, you know, one thing I found is even if you didn't have quite the personality type for the job, if you were musically talented in any way, that kind of put you over the top because they were always looking for different ways to entertain the troops. Mm. Yeah, so, um, so yeah, they're definitely um, composites of the many different women that I read about, but there were certain elements that I was like, I wanna include that, so. Mm. That's cool. Yeah. If you, would you ever write a novel that's not historical fiction, maybe a different genre or, or just even in the present day? You know, I've thought about it and I, <laughs> and my, I say to my friends who write like contemporary novels, I'm like, I don't know if I'm that creative. Like I need like a jumping off point, like some sort of, you know, and history for me is that jumping off point. I'm not sure if I could just like make up stuff out of thin air about people. You know? yeah. So, um, you know, I mean, I'm, I wouldn't rule it out, but um, I think I'm going to stay in my lane <laughs> with historical nice. fiction. Yeah. <laughs> what other historical fiction authors do you read or do, or do you know or um, do you like? Um, you know, so many. I, I love, um, growing up, I loved Philippa Gregory, you know, um, you know, the other Berlin girl and all. The, I love those books. And I just think she's brilliant and she cranks them out. Um, you know, in terms of contemporary, I, you know, Kate Quinn, I really admire from the Alice Network. Pam Janoff is another one, um, Orphan Train, among many others. Um, Marie Benedict is another. I think she's done some really impressive work. Um, the, you know, the, her latest one, I, oh, The Mysterious Mrs. Christie, I think it is. Yep. But yeah, she, yeah she, there's, some, there's some really great authors out there right now. And I think that we're in a really great time where, um, we're honoring a lot of lesser known stories of women in history. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of authors doing this, that kind of thing. And I think it's fantastic. Nice. Um, are you able to talk about your new book? I know it comes out in April. It's called uh, Secret Stealers. Yes. Yes, I can. It comes out <laughs> April 1st. Thank you. And yeah. um, I'm super excited about it. I got the idea because I, I came across this article of this woman Stephanie Check Raider, and she was almost 100 years old at the time of the article, and her neighbors had discovered that she had been an undercover spy in Poland in like 1944-45 for the Office of Strategic Services, the OSS, which was the precursor to the CIA. And it once again, like with the Beantown Girls, it was like, wait, I, you know, you hear about the SOE, you know, female spies from Britain, from the UK, and and different things, but I didn't realize that there were any from the OSS, from, from America. And so that like kind of sparked my interest. And there, I mean, a lot of these, what I realized is 
the OSS women haven't been written about that much because a lot of these archived materials from the Office of Strategic Services, their personnel files and stuff were really just released, I think like not like maybe 10, 15 years ago. So that's part of the reason. And again, like there weren't a lot of female OSS spies, but there were enough that like, I thought that there was a story there. So it's a story, the protagonist is a widow, Anna Cavanaugh, and she's 25 living in DC teaching French. And she's recruited by General William Donovan, who was the head, the founder, founder and head of the OSS. And he was kind of this larger than life personality beloved by his organization. And he recruits her to work at, as kind of an analyst researcher in the DC office. There was many women who worked in, in DC for the OSS. And because of her language skills, French and German, um, she, she's, she learns that of how all these clandestine operations going, over, going on overseas and she wants it and she wants to, to go back. She had spent some time in Paris in, during her education and she convinces him to let her go back and go undercover to try to steal um, intelligence secrets from the Nazis. And mm -hmm. all of this story is really based on the true stories of the women of the OSS, some of the women of the SOE, the, the British version equivalent, and, um, and, and then the, the women of the French resistance, particularly this girl, her name was Jeanne Rousseau, and she was very young she, um, and brilliant. And she decided like single-handedly to start spying on the Germans um, first in Dinard, where she was living with her parents because they had to leave, they had to flee Paris. And then she went back to Paris and found a, a, a resistance group to work for and stole some of the biggest military intelligence secrets of the war from the Nazis. And I read her story and I was like, if I could weave her story in with some of these stories of these women of the OSS, like. I, I just, I think that would be, I, I, I just love that. So that's kind of what the Secret Stealers became. Wow. Yeah. That sounds like a, a big book and. Thank you. Really exciting. Yeah. 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 I'm really excited. It is, it was the hardest by far of the three books I've written. The research was super intense. The writing was really intense, but, um, but I'm thrilled with the end results and I hope people, I hope people enjoy it. Mm, I'm sure they will. Thank you. How much of that work that you did leading up to the release of the book was impacted by the pandemic. Did you still have to, were you still writing, researching? Was that For all the done? Secret Stealers? Yeah. You know, it's interesting you asked that because my deadline for like, you know, I say it wasn't first draft. My, my first, I had to turn in my manuscript for the first time to my editor on March 1st. And I always say to my husband, like, thank God, because I, I've been working on it. We've been going through the editorial process, fact checking, copy editing, all that through the, you know, since March. But if I had to write it from scratch, I think I would have a much harder time. Like just, it was the, my focus would, it would have been tough. I, I find it, I found it really, especially in the first couple months, the pandemic really hard to focus, you know, when I first got my edits back and it was, it was, it was definitely a challenge. Mm. I'm sure accessing historical records too is, you know, much more difficult right now. Yes. Yeah. All of that. So, mm -hmm. so yeah, it was a relief to kind of have it kind of done. I mean, obviously it's, we've I've worked on it a lot since then, but yeah, it was a relief to kind of get that first, first manuscript done by March 1st before the world came crashing mm -hmm. down. So. Uh, what about marketing? I, I know that a lot of authors rely on book tours and other kind of in-person events. Did, have you had to kind of shift the way that you do marketing for your books? 
Yeah, I mean, I really, I really miss libraries. I miss visiting the libraries. That was a big part of my marketing um, push at, with the Beantown Girls. I was, I was lined up to do a couple dozen events last spring for the Beantown Girls, and so um, it, it's definitely we've definitely had to pivot. I think the silver lining is that you know with the with Zoom and with you know. Um, you know, FaceTime and anything else, like I've been able to connect with different book clubs and organizations and libraries all over the country through Zoom. So that's, that's great. I mean, mm. it's not the same as in person. I miss in-person events, but at least we have that. So that really, I, I thought that maybe by April 1st, this was wishful thinking last year, that things would be normal enough that I'd be able to do more in person. But I think we're pretty much going to do all, um, you know, Zoom events, panels, talks, you know, wh whatever. So I'm also going to start um, because I started doing some webinars that are recorded on my website of like the history behind my the different books that I've written. And I decided to start doing a monthly, I think we're going to call it historical happy hour, I'm not sure, where I interview another historical fiction author with a book coming out and talk about like on Zoom and, you know, on, we'll put it live on Facebook or something um, and talk about their book and, and what and, you know, help promote someone else's work and not just my own so that's, like, that's cool that. yeah do you have anybody in the works for that or, or thinking about I do I so two people who are interested so far are because they both have books coming out in the spring on Pam Janoff who I just mentioned and MJ Rose um, she's another historical fiction author so that but we're trying to line up like the next six months you know mm. just have everyone booked so we'll see <laughs> I'll keep you posted yeah. you share with your with your members. Sure. Yeah. Uh, so usually I just end each episode by asking whoever I'm interviewing if they're reading anything right now that they like. Um, I know a lot of authors get asked to do, you know, blurbs. I don't know if, if that's the case for you, but, um, or if you're just enjoying anything for pleasure right now. Yeah, I, I do get asked to do blurbs quite a bit. Um, and I have one, but I have, I'm kind of in between blurbing right now. Mm -hmm. So and my younger daughter is a huge reader. And so we both re just read the um, Invisible Life of Addie LaRue by V.E. Schwab that just came out and it was excellent. It's, you know, definitely fantasy um, kind of young adult, not really fiction, and it, but it was excellent. It was, that was a really fun read. Oh, good. Yeah, I know that's been super popular here. Yeah. Everybody loves it. Yeah. Nice. Well, thanks for your time. I really appreciate it. And hey, thank uh, you so much. Yeah, thanks thank for you. Bye-bye. See ya.